1: Every month of the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, September 12th, 2012. All right, so yesterday I was supposed to tell you about what happened to the radio station in the South Pacific. I was all excited to tell you. I wrote it down. It was in my notes. It was staring me right in the face, and somehow I (laughs) never got around to it. Ah, Creeping decrepitude. One of the embarrassing parts about growing old, you can hide your own Easter eggs. I'll give you the report here in a second. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. The idea here is we slow down. Listen, there's a lot of people out there making claims about God, what he wants from you, what he expects from you, what his will is for your life, and and giving you steps that you're supposed to apply to whatever regarding God. And what we do is we take those claims. We take those assertions, we take those statements to see if they square with what God has revealed in his written word. Why? Well, because all Scripture is God-breathed, and so everybody who brings a teaching to us regarding God, including me, is to be tested by the Word of God. Is what they are saying, is what I am saying, is what anybody is saying true? Is that what God really said is that what he intended us to understand when he had certain passages penned and written uh, by by means of his holy spirit uh, well the answer is well you have to look and see you have to check in context and so this is a program that will teach you over a course of time to stop slow down listen just because somebody's a pastor or a leader or a teacher or a supposed man of god doesn't mean that they're untouchable Listen, we all have a sinful nature, including your pastor, including you. And as a result of it, you know, listen, we are capable of being deceived and tricked by the devil, willfully going along with him and doing all kinds of evil and mischief. And so the idea here is is that nobody gets a pass, everybody gets tested by God's word, and we help equip you and teach you. How to stop and look at things and test to see if what people are saying is true. How to properly understand God's word the way it was revealed, the way that the Holy Spirit intended it to be understood, using sound biblical hermeneutics, context, context, proper distinction of law and gospel, understanding the history, things like that. We do not approach scriptures critically against God's word. No, 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 no. We don't judge God's word by philosophy or our own presuppositions. Instead, we come before God's word understanding that our own sinful nature is corrupted to the point where it causes us to believe lies as if they're true regarding God. And so when we come up against scripture that disagrees with what we believe or what we think intuitively, we understand that the Bible is not to give way, but our own thoughts are to give way. That's the idea of this program. Now, yesterday, in an embarrassing moment of creeping decrepitude, I failed to give you the update on the... A uh, radio station out there in the South Pacific, down in the South Pacific. If you remember, a couple weeks ago, I asked you all to pray because there's a you know tiny little Christian radio station out there in uh, Papua New Guinea. That uh, well, the station itself was sacked by Muslims. No kidding, that's they. The station itself was taken down, taken offline, and uh, it's it was you know their equipment was smashed and things of that nature. And so I had you guys pray for uh, the, the men who were going down there. To reestablish the uh, the Christian radio station, and uh, the good news is the station is back up. The men got their work done without any harm, and there's kind of a silver lining in this sense, and that is is that prior to the uh, the, uh, the attack by the Muslims down there in the South Pacific, uh, the the station wasn't broadcasting at full strength, at least what it legally could have broadcast at at full strength. There was some kind of Equipment issue, um whether it's wiring or a short or whatever i don't exactly understand the details, but prior to the attack you know the 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 law there allows them to broadcast up to what five hundred watts something to that effect, and they were they were in the two hundred so they weren't even broadcasting full strength and it, it was some kind of an equipment issue well, since the Muslims took out the station and it they had to rebuild you know everything kind of from the ground up. Um, what, what ended up happening is, is that once everything got back in place and they tested to see, you know, what the station was broadcasting at, wouldn't you know, they're now broadcasting at the legal 500 watt limit, which means that their their signal is actually hopping across the parts of the Pacific and reaching, uh, remote islands that uh, hadn't been hearing the station before. And the nice thing is, is that. Uh, these these are programs on the station that are proclaiming the gospel, Christ and Him crucified for our sins, and teaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. They're not broadcasting, um, you know, the heretical, nonsensical, narcissistic stuff that you're getting from. Um, other, you know, <clears throat> religious broadcasters like, you know, Hillsong or, you know, or any of the televangelists and stuff like that. So continue to pray for this uh, fledgling station down there in the in the South Pacific that broadcasts some of the programs here from Pirate Christian Radio, and we'll pray that uh, the, the gospel bears fruit and, and leads to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and that people are brought to faith and trust in Christ down there in the South Pacific through, uh, these folks' efforts. So good report. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is Wednesday, and that is the normal slot at the at the moment uh, regarding my schedule, where I'm, I plug in the uh, the the moving <laughs> the moving target. That is our weekly light edition of Fighting for the Faith. It's not that the program deals with a topic that's light. It's just that it's a singular issue. I turn the the, uh, the microphone over to someone else, and we've been currently working our way through. Uh, the Reverend Ron Hodel of uh, Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, his series of lectures that he recently uh, delivered uh, on Paul's epistle to the uh, to the church at Colossae. Fantastic set of lectures worth the broadcast. And so we're going to just dive right into it. Without any further ado, here is Ron Hodel.
2: All right, we're in Colossians. Um, we want to get uh, chapter 1. And I'm just going to go ahead and read. Um, I'll read from the beginning just to uh, put everything in context um, through verse 20. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, You know, as I was reading that, I was thinking very often when when these letters would first be delivered to the church at Colossae, the church at Colossae, part of the divine service would be to read the entire letter from Paul, and they would have that letter for a number of weeks, um, as as their scribes would would copy that letter, and then the letter would be sent on to the next congregation. And so, very often, the epistles that we read just portions of, the early the early Christians heard in their entirety in the divine service. So Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, they would hear the same thing read to them over and over again, um, Paul's letter to to them, God's word to them. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's uh, verse 15. As we work through this, there's a couple of words that we need to take a look at. The first is image, and and the second will be uh, firstborn. I was going to try to uh, uh, bring up a a YouTube video. It's absolutely hilarious. I I don't know if you saw um, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding but the father is in the car and his daughter sitting in the front seat and her got two friends in the back seat. And he's, he's saying in the car, he said, give me a word, any word, and I'll show you the root of that word is Greek. And, uh, <laughs> and he goes, arachnophobia. <laughs> Arachno? <laughs> Spider? Phobia. To fear. The fear of spiders. See, everything comes from the Greek. And then uh, the, little, the girl in the back seat says, how about kimono? <laughs> <laughs> kimono. Kimono. Kamana, that, that, that means winter. And in the winter, you, what do you wear? You wear a robe, a kimono. See, it all comes from the Greek. <laughs> well, maybe it doesn't all come from the Greek. I sort of doubt if kimono came from the Greek. But, uh, um, when you, when you see that word image, uh, you, you get the picture of icon. Um, and, uh, the, an icon is, uh, it, it's something that exactly replicates the original. Um, uh, as as Dietering says the term can be used even to express an identity of essence or substance thus uh, uh, that Christ is one essence or one substance with the Father um, so an icon is that visible thing which corresponds to the original which is often invisible and so you click on the icon on the computer and um, the program comes up um, uh, I've got a couple of icons, uh, I think they're copies, um, I probably couldn't afford a real icon, um, in my office. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's the image of the invisible God. On a, on a, on a true icon, there's no one artist that, that paints an icon. Um, you, uh, might be the one who does hands, and you do faces, and you do legs, and you do feet, and you do, you know, um, uh, d- just different things. And so the, the, the image is not just one person's work, but the work of many different people. Um, but, uh, so icon, um, click on the icon and the original pops up. Jesus talks about, uh, icons too. Um, it's a beautiful story that you remember, uh, when, uh, he, they are asking Jesus, um, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And, uh, Jesus, uh, says, well, let's see, um, anybody have a coin? And of course, they had a coin. Um, they probably shouldn't have had a coin, but they had a coin. And uh, he said, whose image and likeness is on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, well, if it's, uh, if he's got his picture on it, it must be his. So you probably should give it back to him. You know? He says, uh, uh, and then Jesus said, uh, um, uh, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. And, the, and, and whose icon, who, who, whose image is on us? You see, in the waters of holy baptism, we um, have been grafted into Christ. And um, we belong to Christ. Uh, it, if, if the coin is Caesar's, Christ's image is on us. And so we belong to him. Paul writes here and says that that Jesus of Nazareth, and they could see, is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is one, in essence, with the Father. If you want to know what God the Father is like, God the Father who is invisible, look to the icon. Look to what is is visible. If you think Jesus looked like any other Jewish man of, of the day, but seeing Jesus... They had seen the eternal God. Jesus uh, said to, to the disciples, um, Have you been with me for so long? This is John chapter 14, verse 9. Have you been with me for so long? And still you do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say? Show us, show us the Father. Now, of course, the disciples didn't get that on their own. That had to be given to them. It had to be revealed to them by Christ. Um, first to them. And then, of course, through his word, to uh, to us as well Uh, there are other places uh, in scripture where the word uh, image uh, shows up as well and uh, uh, one place where we could go for that is in uh, is in Genesis chapter 1 in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 it says then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living creature, every living thing that moves on the earth. So Adam was created in the image of God. Um, Adam not only reflects God's character. He's also God's representative in the world. And he's the steward over all that God has made. And then... If we uh, move on to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul uses the idea of image to illustrate a contrast between the first Adam, Adam, and the second Adam, or the last Adam, Christ. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And so if you think about the comparison, we have the first Adam who was created to be uh, in the image of God, to, to um, portray his, his, his uh, if you will, to, to uh, reflect God's character. Um, but the problem with Adam is he desired to be like God. Uh, he sought to exalt himself and uh, thus disobeyed God and thereby lost that divine image for all humankind, all right. And what's the image of God that Adam lost? Well, Adam lost that original holiness and righteousness that's gone, in which God had created him. Um, there were some things that he retained, and uh, Genesis chapter chapter uh, nine verse verse six talks about what was retained. Those whoever sheds the blood of man. By man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And from that we can understand that what was retained was was man's superiority in comparison to the rest of creation. But the image that God lost was the image of his righteousness and his holiness. That's That's gone. And so the image of God is lost in us as well. Um, all those begotten and born from Adam participated in his act of disobedience. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, a synonym to uh, the word image that comes up in Scripture is also uh, the word uh, form. Let me just uh, read a passage from Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, Not only is he fully God, he's also the second or last Adam. And so in contrast, Jesus acts very differently from the first Adam. And Paul shows us how in in that uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse. Jesus is... In the form of God. He is the image of God. And yet he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he humbled himself. Took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. So there's another comparison there. He was obedient even to death on the cross. And by doing that he has restored for us God's image. Um, So the image of God is restored by our identification with the last Adam. Just as our image was lost because we're identified with the first Adam, our image is restored because we have been grafted into the second Adam. Um, and of course, all that takes place at baptism. In Colossians chapter 2, just kind of jumping ahead into verse chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writes, "...in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Just kind of a, uh, side note on that: When when you think about baptism, you know, very often people make the comparison, uh, Jesus baptism and our baptism, right? I mean, they're baptisms, so there's those are the comparisons, and and you can make a lot of different. You can say, well, Jesus was older when he got baptized, and so maybe we need to be older when we get baptized. Um, you can do all kinds of things like with with that. The comparison isn't Jesus baptism and your baptism. The comparison we need to make is circumcision and baptism. That's the comparison Scripture makes. That's the comparison Saint Paul makes. Baptism replaces circumcision. Okay, and so if you think about that, if you were a if you were a Jewish family, and you um, you heard the preaching of Paul, and God worked in you through His Word, and you became Christians. When your child was baptized, or when you when you when you had a child who was born, um, when would you think of baptizing that child? Well, if circumcision is replaced by baptism, circumcision happened on the eighth day. Okay? It happened on the eighth day whether grandma could make it or not. It happened on the eighth day whether it was Sunday or not. It happened on the eighth day. Alright? And so the early church automatically started baptizing babies on the eighth day. All right. That's just a kind of a historical argument for infant baptism. Um, uh, the theological being Paul saying baptism, uh, circumcision is uh, replaced by baptism here in this uh, Colossians text. Let me read uh, just a short piece by uh, Dr. Dietering, Dieterding. Um This present restoration of the image of God that we have by way of baptism anticipates the full restoration at the parousia, at the second coming of Christ. So this present restoration of the image of God by way of baptism anticipates the full restoration at the parousia. For although the divine image is already restored to us forensically in terms of God's forgiveness and acceptance, God has declared you to be righteous. He has declared you to be holy. It has been been restored to you forensically, legally. The holiness and righteousness that characterize it, restored now in terms of our standing before God, which is justification, will be fully realized in our being and conduct only at the resurrection. Okay? So that we have that image of God that has been declared to us you are holy you are righteous I have declared you to be that Christ says all right that the the that'll be all fleshed out in the in the day of the second coming all right um, and then Paul tells us in second Corinthians chapter three verse 18 and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other for this comes from the Lord who is spirit so this trans this transformation will take place in its boldness at the second coming so he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation Um, Now, a related verse to that is verse 19. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Um, So we ought to take a look at that word fullness as well. Paul had to use that word fullness because it was a loaded word. Um, It was a technical term. Uh, the, the the heretics in Colossae were using that word to talk about the fullness of the pantheon of gods that are out there. Um, and so, as Dr. Dieter Ding says, in antithesis to any notion of a Redeemer being one of many deities, or anything less than God Most High, Paul asserts that with the Incarnation, all the fullness of the deity came to dwell in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the beloved Son of God the Father. So, rather than the true deity not having anything to do with fallen man, not having anything to do with this broken creation of, of matter, Paul says, no, the fullness of God came to dwell in Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary. Um, he rubs shoulders with it. He gets down into the dust with it. Right? God's not so high like the like the, uh, the Gnostics would teach that he couldn't have anything at all to do with anything that ended up being created. Um, and so there'd have to be these lesser deities that finally... The lowest of the ones could have a, some sort of connection with, with matter. No, Paul says. No. The fullness of God dwells in in Christ.
1: All right. We're going to pause right there. We're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on facebook it's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian we will be right back
2: Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a
0: Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. <laughs> Listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what? what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one. And I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once. Not even in the footnotes. So. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon. Beautiful imagery. The imagery, don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. Yeah. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room-temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, Now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten, and when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. (laughs) Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to mean its maker. It's a stiff, bereft of life. It burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Here. Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus, uh, uh. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well, we're we'll right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio... Very well, I'll give them a try.
3: Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website worldviewweekend.com and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages, over 600 footnotes. Now while you're at at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in Biblical Worldview Weekend resources including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and Biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net situationroom.net You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com.
1: Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime pirate christian radio featured advertiser cheapo air can save you a tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs plus cheapo air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional ten dollars off of cheapo air's already low prices visit pirate christian com forward slash cheap write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today again that's piratechristianradio.com christian forward slash cheap Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they're not preaching the gospel to you. Yes, you need it as a Christian. I need it as a Christian. We all need it. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by... By clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, ZIP Code 46038. All right, here's the balance of uh, today's lecture from uh, Pastor Ron Hodel on the Book of Colossians. Here we go.
2: He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, prototokos, the firstborn. <coughs> Arius, who was a 4th century heretic, um, the spiritual father of our neighbors across the street, the Jehovah's Witnesses, misused the word firstborn. Um, He said that it meant the first of many creatures, as if Jesus were part of God's creation. And of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses would would say the same thing. So what does firstborn of all creation mean? Um, As we we get into this, a couple of... uh, Couple of points um, in theology. There's something called hermeneutics that that means the study and the 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 uh, theory and the practice of of interpretation. All right, um, and a couple of important hermeneutical principles that you need to remember. They're not hard. Uh, there's there's many of them, but they're not hard. First, let scripture interpret scripture. Just let the Bible interpret the Bible. All right, which which means kind of a, a second to that is let the many clear passages interpret the less clear passages. So if you have a passage that's that's really kind of hard, you look for other passages that are talking about the same kind of thing that might be more clear, and let let the scriptures interpret themselves. Um, another uh, hermeneutic would be. Never read a Bible verse. Now I don't know that my hermeneutics books talked about it that way, but in other words, uh, read the the Bible verse in its entire context. Don't just pull a verse out of uh, out of the blue and, and uh, run with it. You know, um, just, what, what is the Lord going to speak to me today? You know, and it's kind of like that. Um, Judas killed himself ooh um, maybe I better pick a different one. go and do likewise oh no no uh, you can't you can't do that you can't do that it's not it's not a it's not a a, a magic book like that. you read the whole thing in context you got to do that so we'll use some good biblical hermeneutics to to understand what the word firstborn means um And what do other Bible verses or passages say about Jesus and the Word firstborn? Well, we run across it. um, We run across a verse in John chapter 1. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made, That was made. Right, everything was created. Everything that was everything that was created was created through Jesus, and that means that Jesus couldn't be created because all things that were created were created through Him. Uh, Another word or another thing we know about the word firstborn is that it can be a title. I am the firstborn. Of uh, Ron and Lorraine Hodel, I am their their the, the first child of their creation, um, but firstborn can mean more than just a description of when somebody was born. It can it can be a title. For example, in Psalm eighty nine twenty verse twenty seven, that psalm celebrates David, King David, David as the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So it says of David. The firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Well, right away, we know David was not the first king of the, uh, on earth. Okay, um, And another thing, he wasn't the first king of Israel. That title belongs to Saul. Um, he wasn't even the firstborn in his own family. Uh, firstborn was a, is a title here. It's the one who is privileged. Um, you think about Esau, uh, Esau and and and, and Jacob. Um, Esau was firstborn, all right, um, but and not not Jacob, but later on, of Jacob, whom God renames Israel. God calls Israel Jacob. God calls Israel his firstborn, his title um, to to Pharaoh. Moses, speaking for God, says to Pharaoh from Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. It's a title. Um, And so if you think about it, that last plague that seemed and was so tragically terrible, the death of the firstborn of, of, of the Egyptians, um, ultimately, that that plague was named by Pharaoh, not not by God, if you will. Um, so the battle finally comes down to whose firstborn is going to live. You know, is it your firstborn or my firstborn? God says, you want it, you want it to come down to that. You're killing my firstborn. Well, then let's see. So Jesus is the firstborn because the Heavenly Father declares him to be the ruler of all creation, the one who inherits the whole thing, the one who has created the whole thing. There's another interesting connection. Uh, The the title firstborn is similar to the, uh, the term used for wisdom. In Proverbs 8, and we saw that wisdom ultimately refers to to Christ in in Proverbs. In Proverbs 8, uh, wisdom begins speaking of himself uh, as the beginning. And then in Proverbs 8, verse 30, wisdom is identified as the master craftsman. Wisdom is the master craftsman by whom Yahweh made all things. Which sounds very much like what Paul is saying here in Colossians, where he speaks about Christ being the creator of all things. He is the master craftsman, being referred to back there in Proverbs chapter eight. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, before the fourth century there wasn't a controversy about that verse. It just yeah, we, we get it. Um he's he's the he's the uh He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the creator of it all. And then uh, as as a couple early church fathers, Origen and um, uh, Justin Martyr uh, understood this as Christ's sovereignty over all creation. Um, And then along come the Arians and the Arian controversy. And and the Arian controversy was good in the sense that it forced the church to really take a hard look, once again, at that verse in Colossians chapter 1 verse verse 15. What does it really say? And boiled down the Arians taught that Jesus had essentially Jesus had essentially the same status as you and me. Um, He's a son of God, um, and so Jesus could be called son of God, but not God, right? Um, and the Arians also taught ultimately that Jesus was the first part of all things that were created. He is over all things, but he is not the creator of all things. So that was that was the controversy: the Arians um, versus the Christians. And just an aside on that. Um, the Aryan controversy spread like wildfire because the Aryans wrote hymns that people memorized, songs that people memorized that taught the Aryan heresy. All right, and so people get the tune in their mind. You know, it's a nice, catchy tune, and the words just kind of go right along with the tune. And so you're humming the tune, and you're singing the tune in your head, and you're inculcating that heresy into your head. All right. So, just as an aside on that, that's why we are so careful with the kinds of hymns and songs that we sing. Um, That the the pure doctrine. Is is portrayed in that hymn or in that song? Because we don't want people to be singing false doctrine into their brains. Not on my watch. Not on Pastor Rody's watch. As best we can do that on Vicar's watch back there. Um, Vicar's got our backs. Um, uh, um, so, Arius, fourth century, uh, taught uh, a refuted. Uh, I'm sorry. Athanasius refuted um, Arius on two counts. Athanasius pointed out that this, that in Scripture Jesus is called only begotten. All right. He, he, what, Arius, what What um, Athanasius does? And you remember the Athanasian Creed? We hear that uh, he didn't write that creed, but it but it uh, says what Athanasius uh, uh, what he what he taught. Um, Athanasius uses Scripture to interpret Scripture. Athanasius points out that in Scripture, Jesus is called only begotten. And firstborn needs to be explained in harmony with that truth. Um, scripture interpreting Scripture. And then, of course, uh, only begotten starts to have its own set of challenges. Uh, you know, we, we can run across that in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I always encourage people to memorize that next verse as well. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Right? Important verse to remember as you read John 3.16. So I like to think of, of only begotten in this way. We make things that um, don't share in our nature. So we can make cars, we can make houses, we make computer programs, uh, we make things that don't share in our nature. We beget things that are of the same nature as ourselves. So we beget children uh, in our same nature, um, and that's why you know the, the term "making babies," making babies, sounds so weird. Making babies. It's the two don't go together. Um, One's kind of an industrial word, making, you know, Um, uh, and, and as opposed to begetting, doing God's work after Him. So, only begotten means that the the Son is true God. And not part of creation. He's in relationship to the Father in his essence, and his essence derives from the Father. He is of the same substance or essence of the Father. And yet the triune God is eternal, without beginning, without end. And all of this begetting, um, all of this firstborn, it all happens outside or without reference to time. We're always stuck in time. Um, but God isn't in time. Uh, so it's a, it's drawing a picture of a, of a relationship. So Athanasius says scripture interprets scripture and a good understanding of only begotten informs our understanding of firstborn. And then Athanasius also says read the verse in context, Arius. Look at, at first Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, at Colossians chapter one, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created. "...in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together." Um, So right there, it says that Christ created all things, he's distinguished from, from every created thing. Christ is not part of what was created. He's not part of what he created. Anything that was created in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, he he adds these these, uh, uh, different words to kind of just make the point, everything um, was created by Christ. He's the source of all things created. He pre-exists anything that was created, which means that he himself has existed from all eternity. And in fact, if Paul had wished to say otherwise, he certainly could have done that, and he would have done that on something this important. On something this important, he would have been very clear uh, that, you know, Jesus is part of creation, so, uh, not, not true God. I've got to make that clear. But he doesn't do that. He makes it very clear that he is before all things, he's the creator of all things, he's the only begotten, uh, firstborn of the Father. Um, outside of reference to time, I think the same same with the words "This is my body." Jesus could have used different words. He had the words to do it, but he didn't do that. He said, "This is my body." He could have said, "This represents my body," would have made it much more clear for everybody, right? But he doesn't do it. Um, so we take Jesus at his words. We take Scripture uh, at its at its word. So. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Verse 16. We saw in verse 15, Jesus is unique and his reign is extensive. Not only is he the creator of all things, he's also supreme over all. Without him, nothing came into existence. And then Paul adds, in heaven and on earth. To reinforce the point that Christ mediated the creation of everything. And we'll talk about that a little bit later because it comes up. And then we also run into the words by him and in him and through him and for him in this section. Um, And each of those phrases has has a a distinctiveness about it. So using the words through him or, or by him, Paul designates Jesus as the agent of all creation. He is the word by which the Father spoke everything into existence. The Father creates by his word. And the Spirit broods over the chaos there to bring it to life. For by him all things were created by him and in him. And that's more than just synonymous with, with, with uh, through him. So when Paul uses the words, uh, let's see, Paul uses the words in Christ to talk about our, redempt- our, uh, our redemptive relationship with Christ um, through him, by him, in him. In him, in Christ. In him indicates that creation has its existence only in relationship to Christ. In other words, not only did Christ create the world, it's in relationship with him. The world is in relationship with Jesus, whether it knows it or not. Um, By him, the whole thing holds together, Paul says. Jesus says uh, that that he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike whether they know it's coming from him or not, it falls on them. Um, In him, all things hold together. It's an ongoing relationship. And so contrary to the thought of of the people like the deists who say that God created the world uh, and brought it into existence in the first place and then just leaves it to run on its own, Paul says, no, the universe continues to exist only in relationship to, to the one who brought it into existence in the first place. So if Christ would pull out of it, the whole thing would collapse. Perhaps you could say it this way. Everything in existence exists only in connection with him. And that means that meaning is only going to be found, the true meaning is only going to be found in him. In fact, without the lordship of Jesus Christ, the world wouldn't continue. For Jesus is not only the word that created the world, he's the source of, of its restoration by him in him and for him for him not as something to play with. He didn't create the world so that you'd have a, a thing to play with. Um, Dieterding says all things were created with a view to Christ's redemptive work which would restore creation after its fall and corruption to that very good status in which the creator first made it. So Paul's saying that our Lord is also the goal of creation. That God created the world perfect. Even though it's fallen, it's not his intention to leave his creation in its fallen state. So where is time headed? Which so we started this whole section with at the beginning of, of, of Colossians. Time is headed toward a goal. And that is the redemption that Christ accomplishes. It's a redemption that He, that He worked on the cross. It's a redemption that He has applied to you through word and sacrament. You are redeemed. You are declared holy. You are declared righteous people. And it's all heading toward a goal, the very end, or, you know, at the time when Christ returns, that all of that goes from being simply a declaration To being reality visible for us to see. Will the Lord be with you? you.
1: All right, so what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross, for all of your sins. Amen.